Welcome to Storehouse Dallas. So, uh, John and I just got back from YWAN, Hawaiian Tan. Um, I actually was wearing like SBF 70, but it doesn't seem to matter. Um, so uh, we were at YWAM, and some of the YWAM leaders, we had a great opportunity to talk to some of the people in um, the upper levels of leadership at YWAM. And they were telling us that um, Lauren Cunningham, who started YWAM, Youth with a Mission, um, they, they recently had a meeting um, with all of the evangelical organizations, and, um, and in doing so, they collectively said, okay, what do we believe and how long is it going to take to reach all of the unreached people groups? Because they know who they are, they know where they are, and they know how many of them there are. And so through all of these organizations, they said, well, you know, we think we can do it in like 50 years. And Lauren stepped forward and said, hey, guys, you know, I think if we keep doing things the way we've always done them, yes, it will take 50 years. But I believe that if we actually divide and conquer and really be intentional, I really believe that by 2025, we can reach all of these people groups. Not only will they be reached with the gospel and have the gospel preached to them, but they will have the Bible translated in their language. And so they have set up this plan strategically worldwide that they are going after this. And they have all joined forces instead of being separately, um, everybody doing their own thing. And so with that, they believe this in Matthew 24, 14, it says, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall, then shall the end come. And so they believe that once the whole earth and every nation hears the good news of Jesus Christ, that it's going to help initiate the return of Jesus. And so today, um, this is the third part of my series on um, knowledge of the beauty of God. Thank you, Matthew. It didn't print out on my, I was like, what did I call this? <laughs> and so we live in an hour where this generation has access to more understanding, more information, more of, of the Bible, more revelation than we've ever had access to, more prophecy, more power, more healings. I mean, you see, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, I prayed for someone and they got, you know, their broken foot was healed. And you're like, oh, cool. It's like common. It's becoming commonplace. So you have to look at that from 40 miles up and you have to ask yourself, this is not the way it was 10 years ago. This is not the way it was 100 years ago. There is an acceleration happening with the body of Christ and God is moving among his people. And when he does that, we have to say, what is the hour that we are living in? Amen? 
And I believe with all these dreams and visions and angelic encounters, Jesus is appearing all over the globe. I heard this story uh, recently. Uh, I, some of you may have seen it. It was published in a, a Christian uh, magazine. And it was a Muslim man who lives in the Middle East who has no knowledge. I mean, he, he knows about Jesus the prophet, but you know, really doesn't have any knowledge of the Bible. And he hears a knock on his door at night, one night, he's alone in his house. Well, you know, there's probably goats around or whatever. But so he opens the door and there's a man standing there with a white, uh, clothed in a white robe and his face is shining. And he comes in and he says to him, get a piece of paper and a pencil and I'm going to tell you a story. So he starts writing down everything that this man said. And in that same community or around that same community is a, is, a, is a man who's called as a missionary to those people. And he hears about what this man has been experiencing. So he had an encounter with this man knocking on his door that came to him every night for 30 days. And he said, uh, let me see what you wrote down. What did he tell you? And he, he got the piece of paper and he looked at it. And it was di a dictation of the book of John. In the beginning was the word. And it was word for word, the book of John. This man had never even read or seen a Bible. He, and he was like, I don't know who this man was. And the missionary said, let me help you out with that. You know, I mean, but. But again, Jesus is appearing. And, you, and so it is, these things are happening. This increase in knowledge is happening not to entertain us. He's not giving us dreams and visions and encounters so that we'll be like, oh, I feel so good. I have a momentary, you know, I feel the presence of the Lord. I feel a tickle in my stomach. I fall out on the floor and I'm, you know, jumping around like a Mexican jumping bean. You know, I mean, this is not to entertain us, but it is for the preparation of the bride of Christ for his return. And so we are, we are being prepared and we live in an hour where we can see around us and the dark is getting darker. And it's actually incredible how prolific and uh, 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 bold the, the satanic worshipers are and the witches are. And, and then you, you look at how people unbelievably are actually celebrating the eugenics of, of, of children that are born uh, uh, or, or survive an abortion. And, they, and I mean, they, they, they're, they're actually on like mainstream media talking about this. Even our politicians, people that we elect to represent us, and I don't know about you, but these people don't represent me. And the people that elected them need to say, you're not representing me. You're not, we're not all about killing children when they've survived trying to kill them. I mean, and, and, and so it's like we've gone backwards and become a pagan society. And so when you see these kind of things, again, these are our markers that the Bible talked about that, that evil would be called good and good would be called evil. But God is saying to his remnant, get ready for my power and my presence is about to be poured out like never before. Daniel 12, 4 said this, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, but knowledge shall increase. 
Um, and it, it, we live in a time where the majority of the church, what they want to do is they want to seek God to get out of pain. Their primary objective is not to feel any pain. But even Paul told us, you know, I partner in the sufferings of Christ. Follow me, do as I do, as Christ does. You know, I'm following Christ. Watch how I live because this is actually, if you look anywhere else besides America, you're going to see incredible suffering. I mean, the Chinese are like, are you kidding me here? We are, we understand what true suffering is. And so, so uh, what we'll do a lot of times, and I remember this when I first got saved, that my primary prayer life consisted of, oh God, help me not feel any pain. You know? And, and, but God is, is actually, like I said, He's looking to mature us so that we're not looking at Him as being the fixer. But we're actually beginning to pursue him so that we can know him. And I love the saying that YWAM has up on their, up on all of their um, marketing material. He wants us to know him and make him known. And, and so what the Lord is looking for is he's looking for people that are going to pursue him to know him. Um, you know, it's like any kind of relationship that you have deep within the heart of mankind is the desire to be known. When you come in here, you really want people to know your name. You really want to feel that connection that people know your story, they know who you are, they know what you've been through, and they carry your burdens with you. And it's the same thing with God. God doesn't need anything from us, but he desires a relationship that is based in us knowing who he is and him knowing, uh, letting us know that he knows who we are. And that deep connection is what is transformative to us and the very thing that begins to change us from glory to glory so that we begin to look like the Lord. Jesus made a very clear delineation in Matthew 7 when he said, many will seek me in that day. They'll do all these miracles, signs, and wonders, but I will say to them, away from me, for I never knew you. You never sought after me. You, you, you never sought after my heart. You never sought to really know me so that you could take on my nature, but you actually just sought to, to uh, 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 the power and the, and the, you know, it's like the difference of seeking someone's hand versus seeking someone's heart. You know, when I, as I've told you guys before, when John and I are hanging out or when we're doing stuff together, we are connected at the heart. I'm not looking to get something out of him. I'm just looking to be with him. And, 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 the, and, and through love, he has a desire to give me everything in his house. Right, babe? <laughs> just thought I'd get that unrecorded. Yeah. Did you just throw me your keys? No, babe, I want your wallet. 
Uh, all right, where were we? Focus. <laughs> all right, so Jesus said, away from me, I never knew you. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus is the perfect and ultimate representation of the Father. And he's the perfect and ultimate rep representation of man. And so when he came, he came to say, look, I'm just showing you not just who the Father is, but I'm showing you who you can be when you are in the Father, when you behold the Father. You could actually become just like me. He was the firstborn of many brethren. He was a forerunner just to show us how life can be for us. Amen? Last week, Matthew covered the different roles of Christ. He did an excellent job of judge, king, and bridegroom. And today, I want to talk to you about Jesus as our bridegroom. Um, Revelation 17.9 says this, Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has made herself ready. Um, turning your Bibles to John chapter 3 uh, 26, because it talks about the, the, the whole um, idea of the bridegroom is so unique. And, and but let me tell you, I didn't get this whole bridegroom thing. And I had no clue about it when I got saved. And I was, you know, like three years into my salvation. And nobody had ever talked to me about Jesus as a bridegroom. So turn in your Bibles to, what did I say? John chapter 3? 326. Okay. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you, uh, this is, this is um, 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 John the Baptist's disciples that are talking. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. John answered and he said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. They Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. And, and so uh, knowing Jesus as the bridegroom actually has a promise attached to it, that our joy will be fulfilled. We, there is something, there is such a reward and a benefit to us when we see him as bridegroom. When, um, uh, I, during the time that Jesus was on the earth, there was a, there's a wedding tradition, um, that the Jewish people had. So when a, a suitor would come into a village and he would see a pretty girl and he would get to know her and court her and decide that this was the woman that he wanted to marry, what he would do is he would ask her father, I want your, I want your daughter's hand in marriage. And so they became betrothed or engaged. Well, when that happened, they would separate the, the bridegroom would leave the village and he would go back to his father's house to prepare a place for his bride to come. And, and so he would build a room on his father's house and that would take some time. Now the bride, meanwhile, she would begin uh, bridal or wedding preparations. And so she would begin to make her dress. She would begin to bathe in costly oil and perfumes. And so she's preparing herself for, her, for his return. But the thing is, is that she's, there's no smartphone. 
There's no way for them to communicate. So she has no idea when the bridegroom is going to return. But when he does return, she is going to be ready for the wedding day. She is, because when he comes, the wedding is on. There's no, I'm going to wait another month. It's like he comes in in a procession with his family. The wedding takes place right then and there. And then he takes her to be with his father. Do you see the symbolism in this? There's so many scriptures about that. And so, so for us, it doesn't look like perfume and oil. But for us, it looks different. It looks like beholding. And so we prepare ourselves through our eyes. Jesus is the second Adam, and he is desiring a bride that is made in his image. He's an, that we would be an image bearer, a helpmate. In the beginning, as it was with Adam, right after Eve gets pulled out of Adam, right after that rib gets cracked, you know, what happens is he looks at Eve and he says, she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She has been made in my likeness. So bone of my bone, on the inside, she looks like me. Flesh of my flesh, on the outside, she acts like me. So we're called to take on the very nature of God. And it says about Adam and Eve when that, that, that God made a companion who was comparable to him. She was his likeness, the feminine version of him. So there's, for us, what that means is that there is no, there should be no difference between the nature of God and our nature. So he's looking for us to see if we're looking at him. And as I look at him, he looks at me and I get hit with his love. And then I look at him and then he looks at me and I get hit with his love. And every time that exercise happens, I get transformed into his likeness. And in the interim, he's telling me things about his thoughts about me before he ever even created me. His thoughts about me today while I'm struggling or in a bad mood or whatever. And, and so he's pouring himself out, his nature, his goodness, his kindness, his everything about him begins to hit my heart and I begin to look like him. Amen? Amen. There's a song going out. It's an imitation sung by Song of Solomon. Rise up, my darling, and come away with me, my fair one. He is saying, if you will come and behold me with an unveiled face, you will behold me as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Spirit of the Lord. So, I don't know about you, but I, you know, nobody needs another, a lot more of Tracy in the world. You know, I mean, not that I'm not funny or whatever. I have a personality, but the point is, is that what the world is looking for is they are looking for Christ fully manifest in me. And that's transformative for the world. He is transformative for me 
I am transformative for the world as I go and I begin to pull in the harvest because the, the, har the people that are lost are looking at the church and they're like, I don't want to have anything to do with that because that has no power, no love, no peace, no anointing. And, and so they don't want what we have because it, seems, it doesn't seem like God because we're not beholding God. Amen? We behold Jesus as the bridegroom. And there's six ways to behold Jesus. Six ways. Not five. Six. Number one, reading the Holy Scriptures. Number two, praying. Now, you guys hear me say this all the time. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to find places in the Scripture where it talks about Jesus as the bridegroom. And I want you to look in the Scriptures, begin to meditate on those. But I want you to look at the throne room, the scenes in the Bible of the throne room. You can find it in Daniel. You can find it in Revelation. Because there's something there about that scene. It's not just a one-off. I mean, you know, what John is seeing, God purposely said, look at what's happening in this place that you now have availability to. So, so when you pray, you may be praying, Matthew may be praying sitting in that chair, but Matthew is not in that chair. Because he is in heaven, and he's in that throne room, and he is looking at the Father who is clothed in light to guard the people who look at him from disintegrating. Because his love is so explosive, it will annihilate you if you see it. That's how powerful his love is. So, you gotta, you gotta kind of, you gotta get yourself in that place where you can see him in his glorified state and you can begin to say okay lord i need to see you i need to see those eyes that are like a flame of fire like last week or that was or week before i was telling you about that dream that i had that was just uh, wrecked me where i saw his eyes that were a flame of fire and when i looked at him i seriously like john the beloved fell to the ground in my dream because those eyes kept hitting me with love. And here's the thing. There was no place for me to hide. I couldn't hide from that gaze. And, and, and he kept, he couldn't, I, I, he saw every part of me. And he wasn't saying, oh, that's not right. Oh, that's not good. Oh, that's not... He was so enraptured and captivated by me, even in my weakness and my brokenness. And I thought, how can a God love me when he sees me like that? Number three, worshiping. Just worshiping him, giving him, pouring out your adoration. Number four, to receive teaching. And I'm not talking about just receiving teaching. I love what Jason Hooper says. He says, um, you know, it's not about what you hear, but it's about how you hear. You know, receiving something is about letting a, a, a teaching land in your heart not just in your head. 
and, 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 and letting it go through a filter of love so that you can fully receive it. And it begins to do something on the inside. You know, when I heard Mike Bickle and he was talking about um, back in like 2001, I heard this uh, bridegroom teaching. I'd never heard anything like that. And I don't know, I, you know, I came from, you know, he's talking about the bridegroom and he's talking about Jesus as the bridegroom and I had come from a divorced situation where um, I had uh, an adultering, alcoholic, abusive ex-husband. And so bridegroom love to me was just cruel love. And... Uh, so he was talking about this, and I, it's interesting, it, you've, you, if you haven't experienced it, when you hear it, but you know that it's supposed to be yours, and you so long for it, whether you're a man or a woman, you long for that, because you know that's something that's going to make you whole. That's something that every single one of us desires with all of our heart. We desire the man that prayed for us and interceded for us in, in, in John chapter 17. The last prayer that he prayed before he was crucified was for you. And he said, remember, I desire, Father, that they would be with me where I am. He, he, he used terminology that was passionate, that was emotional, that said, I long for them. And how much more today is he longing for us? And we can tell that he's coming and it's getting closer because he's giving us access to his heart in ways that we've never had access before. During that time, this tangible emotional love hit my heart and it washed over me. And, and John, when I came back from that event, John just said, there's something different about you. There's something different about you. you. Love has touched you in a way that I've never seen anybody be touched by love before. The fifth thing that uh, we do to behold Jesus is receive God's love in a bridal way. Love says you have value right where you are. Uh, you know, in the Song of Solomon, she said, I am dark, but you say I am lovely. Um, and so our receptors... You know, John and I have been doing this for a while, and what we've noticed is that people's receptors are broken. Like, they can, they can love others, they can love God, but they don't know how to receive the love of God. And if you can't receive the love of God, you're not going to receive the love of others. And so if there are areas in your heart where you shut your heart down, either to self-protect or whatever, I'm telling you that I think that today is a day to begin to open that heart again so you can receive the bridegroom love that will be transformative to you. 
And then the sixth thing that I believe is necessary to behold Jesus uh, is to cry. Is to cry. You know, we're all trying to keep it together, right? And it's like, we're just going to pull our bootstraps up. I can say that because I'm a Texan. <laughs> but we're doing that, you know? We're just trying to keep it together and keep putting one foot in front of the other and keep those bills paid and, you know, whatever. But the truth is, is that uh, I love what uh, Bob Jones said that then Corey Russell repeated, you know? Tears get rid of witchcraft. And we just need to cry. And we need to give ourselves permission to be messy. And we need to cry until we're done crying. There was one year, and you're going to be like, no way. <laughs> there was one year when I experienced incredible loss. Incredible loss. I cried every day for a whole year. Every day. All my leadership and the people around me were like, really? You're still crying? <laughs> been nine months. But I'm just like, you know, I'm just going to cry until I'm done crying. I'm just going to take my cares to the Lord and I'm just going to cry. And I'm going to cry and I'm going to cry and I'm going to cry. Because what happens is that emotions were cleansing me. You know, I wasn't depressed. I was just sad. It's not a sin to be sad. Sometimes when you're sad, you just need to be sad until you're not sad anymore. And you just need to take your cares to the Lord and cry and say, I'm so sad. That hurt me so deeply. And just cry. You know, there's, there's, anger is not a sin. Sadness is not a sin. It's just sinning in those things. And so if we'll go ahead and just get real with our emotions, with this bridegroom love, I'm telling you, this bridegroom that, that cares about these things, carries our woes, you know, uh, it says that he's near to those who mourn. I'm telling you, if you'll go ahead and mourn, then you're going to see that the nearness of God will come and envelop you in love and begin to heal that heart. And so you won't allow yourself to get depressed and bitter and angry and everything else. Amen? Yeah. All right, Shana, you want to come on up? Okay, so here's what I felt like the Lord said we're going to do. Are you guys still good? I realize we're running a little behind, but um, here's what I found. One thing and one thing alone is moving this world and its systems towards the climax of history. It's the longing of God the Father to give his son a bride that is wholeheartedly devoted to him. There are going to be no shortcuts, and there's no 75% in you know, my son said to us at YWAM this week, he said, he said, man, I'm getting wrecked, mom. I said, well, tell me about it. And he said, well, I realized that I was mad at God because I wanted to be my own God. And I, I wanted, I didn't want to give God a hundred percent. I just wanted to give him the part that I felt comfortable with. Like you can have 50%. But I, I'm going to keep the other part, and I'm just going to hang out over here and do this. But John and I have learned over the years that, you know, 75% in, 97% in is a lot harder than 100% in. And everybody here over the age of 50 can tell you that that's true. We learned it the hard way, some of us. But so I'm just saying this is an all-in deal, that your whole heart 
gets given away to the, to the bridegroom and the one who has romanced us. And men, I, I don't know if you have a, a problem with this message. It's a little bit more difficult to conceptualize, but it's real. And he says that you are his bride and you're men. So I, I don't know where to put that, but. So I feel like this morning we need to respond to this. And I believe there's an availability to step into this next level of love for us. Um, I'm, I'm believing that the same way that I experienced an awakening at, at, at one thing, uh, 2001, where there was a marriage, it was actually, they brought everybody up front and we all just said, all right, we're going to get engaged to the Lord. And look, uh, that may seem corny to you, but I'm telling you something happened in my heart that day that I've never gone back from that. And it helped to heal me from so much trauma in my life, this kind of bridegroom love. So the spirit and the bride say come, and we're going to agree with that this morning. God has made himself ready, uh, excuse me, ready and available to be known. And so he's saying to us, search, search me out and know me. And we're saying to him, look, there are depths in your heart, God, and we want to mine those depths. We want to find the depths and the, and the different facets of your heart because those are not only worthy to be known, but those are the very things that if I see them, that I know that I can have them. If I see them, that I know I can become one with them. If I see them, I'll, I'll explode in a, a, a affection towards you. So a lot of us need to go there because when the enemy comes in like a flood, love is going to be the thing that keeps us solid. When the circumstances of life start squeezing you, love, joy, and peace should come out. When you know Jesus this way, you will be movable. I'm not going to be moved. I know I'm loved. I am loved with a violent kind of love. I have been washed clean by the eyes of love. I have been transformed by the eyes of love. This love is a love of passion and desire and awakening. He is unlike any other God. And we, this is the only way to move into this next level of preparation. And so I want to invite you to come up and to come forward. It's time that we say, okay, I'm going to be betrothed. I make that commitment. I'm going to be betrothed to you. I want to know you as a bridegroom lover. I want that longing. I want to understand what it is when, when, when you look at me that way. And it captivates my heart. And so, Father, I ask you 